Well, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you were with us last time, you know we started what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And we're doing the first 12 verses in Matthew 5 this semester. They're called the Beatitudes. They're called the Beatitudes because it means blessedness. And all of these start, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. So they're called the Beatitudes, the the blessedness. So last time we saw verse uh, 3 in chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we, we talked about those who recognize and know they need God are those who are blessed. Tonight we continue, and we're in the next verse, which is uh, verse 4. And like last time, it, when we read it, it'll be the opposite of what we expect. So it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Would you stand as I read God's word for us? I'm going to read the first, all first four verses of Matthew chapter 5. This is what it says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when Jesus sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is God's living and active word. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to understand what this means? Would you help us to understand what it is that Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 5? And would you give us comfort even as we mourn? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. What makes you sad? It's not a fun question to ask. It's not an easy question to ask. I'm sure you're all thinking of many answers right now. And I'm sure throughout this room, we have many different answers, and you yourself might have many different answers. There are small, simple answers, like you didn't win the nerds in our game today. Or you learned that we were playing... Seriously, it makes you sad. Or you learned that we were playing knockout, and then you learned the balls were flat. So (laughs) what is it going to be easy, right? Uh, you, your team lost this weekend, either in college football or the NFL, right? That makes you sad. Uh, you got a bad grade on a test, right? That, that, makes, you, that makes you sad. Uh, you didn't get to hang out with your friend, something like that. Those are, those are things that generally make us sad. But there's also deeper and harder answers of things that make us sad. Times when we feel alone. Times when we feel unknown. Times when we might feel worthless. Uh, when we lose a friend or a loved one. And these are really sad times. And in particular, it's, it's a, this is an important message because there's a lot of grief in our world and even in our church. Uh, we have people here in, in RYF who have lost a good friend recently. Uh, there's, a denom- there's a church in our denomination in Memphis who lost a woman who was a, a teacher and a, and a wife and a mother recently. And many people probably know the Queen of England has died, and so there's, there's all sorts of mourning and grief. And uh, So this is something that's going up not only in our own in our own youth group, but also all over the world, there's this idea of grief and loss right now. And no matter whether your answer to what makes you sad is simple or really hard and deep, when we first look at this verse and we look at the first part when it says, blessed are those who mourn, it feels so opposite of what we expect. It feels so weird. It's like, wait, wait a second. Blessed are those who mourn? Who's got it made? Who's got the good life? Who who looks good in God's eyes? those who are sad. That doesn't seem to make sense to us. This seems impossible, unbelievable, right? And yet this is what Jesus says. These are his words. And so let's dig into this together to understand what he means. In order to see what he means when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, we need to see two things. Why are these people mourning? And why are they blessed? Now, when he says mourning here, he means a deep sadness or regret over the loss of someone or something. Right. So I'm going to say mourning and think sadness, think deep sadness and regret when I say mourning. So first, why are these people sad? And then why are they blessed? 
First, why are they sad? If you think about this sadness, right, I just named a lot of things you could be sad about. And Jesus is not saying anybody who's sad about anything is blessed. He has a particular type of mourning, a particular type of sadness and regret in mind, okay? Now, this type of sadness and regret, this type of grief, can be present when we lose somebody we love. It can be present when, when I named all the things I named off earlier. It doesn't necessarily have to be. So we've got to do a little digging to understand what he means. Think about this kind of sadness. It's a kind of, a, it's a kind of sadness that looks at a situation and says, this is wrong. It's a, it's a kind of sadness that looks at loneliness, loss, evil in the world, and death as something that is fundamentally not right. You look at the world and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I know it's supposed to be more than this. It's looking at evil in the world and calling it what it is. Not explaining it away, not saying this is all going to pass, but saying actually this is wrong. It's a weeping for the way the world is. It's a deep sadness for seeing things and saying that's not right. And wanting something not just different, but wanting something better to be true. Uh, there's a book called Lament for a Son, and it's about a man who, who, write about, who writes about the loss of his son. It's a really heartfelt and a poignant book. But he explores what it means to mourn and be those that Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. I want to read you just a snippet for it, uh, from it for us, because I think he does a really good job of explaining what, what Jesus is getting at here. Um, and he says this. He says, who then are the mourners? The mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming and who break out into tears when confronted with its absence. He goes on, They're the ones who realize that in God's realm of peace, there is no one blind, and who ache whenever they see someone unseeing. They're the ones who realize that in God's realm, there is no one hungry, and who ache whenever they see someone starving. They're the ones who realize that in God's realm, there is no one falsely accused, and who ache whenever they see someone imprisoned unjustly. They're the ones who realize that in God's kingdom there is no one who fails to see God and who ache whenever they see someone unbelieving. They're the ones who realize that in God's realm there is no one who suffers oppression and who ache whenever they see someone beat down. They're the ones who realize that in God's realm there is no one without dignity and who ache whenever they see someone treated with indignity. They're the ones who realize that in God's realm of peace there is neither death nor tears and who ache whenever they see someone crying tears over death. The mourners are aching visionaries. That's what I think Jesus is getting at here. That those who mourn are those who are aching visionaries for the way the world ought to be and to see the world the way that it's not and who weep over it. And this mourning for the world, this sadness, also means mourning over your own self. It's a second sense of what Jesus is getting at with mourning. It's not just they're aching visionaries for the world, but they're also aching visionaries for their own selves and their own souls. That those who look at evil in the world also look at evil in their own hearts. They not only see evil and sin out there, but they see evil and sin inside themselves. And they say, this is wrong. And they're saddened over it. That pride, anger, and hatred that we have in our hearts are not right. And that we're actually some of the ones making the world not the way it's supposed to be. The sin in our own lives, the sin in our own hearts and minds, are making the world into that which it's not meant to be. It's a kind of grief, a kind of sadness from looking inward and saying, I have done wrong. That's why it comes after verse 3, because verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And those who are poor in spirit are also going to be those who mourn over their own sin, because they see their need of God. 
Now, it's easy to be sad and evil, or sad and evil outside of ourselves. To think about, yeah, this wrong thing is going on in this world. This evil thing is going on out here, but I'm good. Right? We have this us versus them mentality. And we naturally fall into it. We say, these are the bad guys out there. We're the good guys. We're great. We're good to go. Um, but there was a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn who, who worked for, uh, he actually fought in World War II for the Russians, and he was reflecting on this. After he'd gone against the government and been, been in prison for it, he's reflecting on this idea that, like, well, you know, the good people are, are in here and the bad people are out there, and we're all good and they're all evil. And he says this. He says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. It's easy for us to look out there and say, that's the evil, that's the problem with the world. As we talked about last week, right, we are also the problem with the world. I want to give you an example of, of being sad for a right reason in this idea of mourning and being sad for a wrong reason. So imagine two students who cheat on a test. Okay, I know none of you would ever do that, but imagine two students who cheat on a test and they get caught for cheating. Okay, they both get caught, and they're both sad. Well, one of them is sad because they got caught, and the other one is sad because they cheated, right? When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not just saying, yeah, blessed are you if you are sad for getting caught doing evil. He's saying, blessed are you if you're sad over your own brokenness, over your own sin. That's what he's getting at. That's what he says, blessed are those who mourn. So if we want to be like those mourners, how do we mourn like that? How can we be sad like that? First, we have to acknowledge that it's actually okay to be sad. Because sometimes we can feel like we can never be sad, right? We always have to be happy to be a good Christian. Nothing ever has to be going wrong in our life. We feel like when we are interacting with our friends, we have to say that we're good. We have to say that we're fine. Things are going well, right? Or we feel like when we post online, we have to post the best version of ourselves. And everybody who looks at us has to think everything's okay. Which is the same thing we look at when we see somebody else posting, just the highlights of their life. And we think, everybody's having a good, happy life, and so if I'm sad, something is wrong. So we have to acknowledge that it's actually okay to be sad, and sad for the right reasons. So acknowledge it's okay to be sad, but also we need to dig into why we're sad. Like I said, he's not just saying any type of sadness, any type of mourning is okay. He's saying, there's actually a particular type of mourning and sadness I'm thinking about. Right? Remember the example, right? the person who's sad for getting caught, that's not what God means here. We need to think about why we're sad. Are we sad for the consequences of our actions? Are we sad for selfish reasons? Or are we sad for the right reasons? Are we sad because we've gone against the one God who truly loves us and we've actually done the opposite of what he desires? Right? We also need to, to think about it this way. Uh, it's hard because we don't like to be sad. We like to try to distract ourselves. We like to try to minimize that sadness. And there's actually a thing called godly grief that the Bible talks about over our sin. But the thing is, whenever we start to feel that way, we tend to try to distract ourselves. We try to go do something or see somebody or, or pick up a screen, right, and just distract ourselves. But actually, it's a gift, this godly grief and mourning, this sadness. It's hard. We don't like it. It's not something we naturally want to feel. But in order to mourn and be sad well, we actually have to move into it. What would it look like for you and I to mourn like this? Well, the, the beauty is that we don't do it alone, actually. We do it together. Because sometimes if we're doing it alone, it can feel really overwhelming. But God has given us the gift of Christian community so that we can mourn and be sad over the evil in the world together and over the evil in our own hearts. I hope that RYF is a place where we can have fun, we can enjoy time together, we can play games, we can do all sorts of things. But also it's a place where we can really deal with the fact that there is evil and sin, not only in the world, but also in ourselves. 
And that the gospel, that the Jesus Christ is powerful enough to address both of those things. It also means sharing our sadness with the very people that we've hurt. So if we sin against our parents or our siblings or our teachers or students at school, it's actually expressing that sadness to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. This was the wrong thing to do. I, I did what was wrong. I did what was evil. And I'm sorry. It's expressing that sadness. It's confessing to them. Think about this. What sin in your life right now is God calling you to mourn, to be sad about, to be grieved about? Some of you might find more than one. But God calls us to weep over our sin. What in the world are you wrestling with right now that God is calling you to be sad about, to mourn about? But the beauty of this verse is there's not just sadness. We're not just left in our sadness to say there's no hope and nothing's ever going to happen. We're just going to be sad, right? Going around like Eeyore the whole time when everything is terrible, everything is woe is me. There is hope. That's why there's the second part of this verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we talked about those who mourn. Now we want to talk about why are they blessed. Now notice, it's not a present tense. It's not they are comforted, but it's they will be comforted. It's a future thing. That for those who mourn, those who mourn evil, those who mourn the sadness, the things and the sin in this world, right? That there's actually hope. Those who look within and without at the world and say, this is not the way this is supposed to be, there is hope for difference. There is hope for change. Yet if we look at the evil in the world and the evil in ourselves, sometimes we can say, how? How can this be? How can there ever be comfort? How can ever there ever be hope? I'm reminded of what Sam says to Frodo in one of the Lord of the Rings movies. He says, well, in reading the old stories, how could the world go back to the way it was after so much bad happened? Because sometimes when we look at the sadness of the world, that's where we can go to. Like, how could the world ever be better again? But, you know, this promise of comfort here, this word for comfort, doesn't just mean comforting in words, but it means an actual change in our situation. And it's also passive. It's not you're going to comfort yourselves. You're going to figure it out yourselves. But it's you will be comforted. That evil will be no more. And our hope, our hope of comfort rests in the very one who said these words. Jesus himself. See, this, Jesus is our savior. And he was called a man of sorrows. So if we think we're experiencing deep sadness, and we are, He was the man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He took on our grief. He carried these things. He came down to take on the very punishment for our evil, for our sin. So he went to the cross. And yet, we don't just get left in his death and in that sadness, but actually he was raised from the dead on the third day. And so now we have hope. Hope that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the very power of God, is the same spirit that's been poured out into our hearts if we believe. And that that spirit that it made him new is even now making us new. Even now pushing back against the sin and the evil in our hearts that we're mourning. Giving us a path to walk forward in repentance. But also it's the hope that he's going to come back. Christ not only came down to start to put an end to things, but he will return and completely put an end to all sin, all evil, all death. And not just out there in the world, but also in our own hearts, in our own souls. Uh, one a famous old theologian named John Stott passed away recently, uh, past 10, 15 years. He, he said this thing about the cross. He said, in order to see the cross, the death of Jesus, as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. As Christians, we look at the cross and we say, yes, the cross is for us. Jesus was doing this for us. 
But the cross is also something that we did because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of going against God. But the hope is that Christ, knowing that, while we, will st- while we were still sinners, came and died for us so that we might have life and so that in this life, even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of sadness, even in the midst of deep sorrow, we have hope, hope that he will return, that we will be comforted. In closing, I'm reminded of a passage in Revelation chapter 5. And Revelation, if you don't know, is the last book of the Bible, talking about the fact that God's going to come back and do all the things that we just talked about. And there's a scene in Revelation 5 where the Apostle John is, is having a vision of what's happening. So he's in the throne room of heaven. And he's waiting with all these people who are longing for the end to come. They're longing for everything to be made right, everything to be made new. And there's this scroll with seven seals on it. And he looks around at all these elders, all these crazy creatures in heaven, and none of them are worthy to open the scroll. And John starts to weep. And the reason why he's sad is because he says, well, in order for God's plan to come, somebody's got to open the scroll. And if there's nobody there to do it, then we're left in our sadness. We're left with this world not the way it's supposed to be. And so he starts to weep. But then somebody taps him on the shoulder and he says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And this lion of the tribe of Judah, this root of David, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And it goes on to say that he is worthy because with his death he ransomed a people for God. And so the weeping of John is transformed into great joy because the one who is worthy to open the seven seals is there. He is the one that's going to return. And as Revelation 21 says, he's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. That death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. It is difficult when we encounter sadness in this life. It's not something we want to go into. right? But when we see it, Right? We need to remember this idea of being aching visionaries for what's to come. And the beauty and the truth of the gospel is that because Jesus came, because he died and rose again, all those who are truly aching visionaries will one day see what it is they long for most. They will see God come down, new heavens and new earth, and everything will be made new. And all the tears will be wiped away. So in the midst of grief, in the midst of sadness, in the midst of hope, we can remember this verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Father, we need hope. We need to be able to look to you in the the darkness and the sadness and the evil we see in the world and in ourselves. Lord, would you help us to see that there is hope in you. There is hope in your son, Jesus, who came for us, came to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, would you help us as we wrestle with how to live out our Christian faith right now? Would you help us as we wrestle with how to grieve over our sin, how to mourn over our sin, and how to move towards you, how to move towards what is good, how to follow in your footsteps, how to repent of our sin? And Lord, would you help us as we feel sometimes overwhelmed by the evil in the world? Would you help us to know that you will come and comfort us, that you will come and make all things new? Would you help us by your spirit to live faithfully in hope, even in the midst of sadness, even in the midst of mourning? Thank you for these promises that are all true in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.